Well, good evening, First Norfolk. Thank you for joining with us as we continue our study through Acts. Last Sunday, a couple of days ago, Seth Schwab preached on how uh, we are a sending church. And he told the story of how the church at Antioch, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, set apart Barnabas and Saul, who we will start calling Paul, uh, on a mission to take the good news of God's rescuing love to fulfill the calling by telling others who Jesus is around uh, the ancient Near East. And that's exactly what we find happening uh, beginning in verse 4 of Acts chapter 13. We're looking at how you and I, uh, our church, is called to uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of our comfort, beyond the walls of our traditions, and beyond the walls of our buildings, that we are to go to where people are. This is what we're looking to do with scattered church, as God raises up uh, men and women within our church family to uh, start those scattered church movements throughout the seven cities of Hampton Road, starting first Norfolk, wherever you are, as we begin to see that happen and take shape, and as we begin to see congregations of of 10 to 50 people gathered together in different places, in homes or in community centers or in gyms or wherever around the seven cities of Hampton Roads, we believe that we're looking at something that God is doing similar to what he did in Acts chapter 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, and beyond. So what I want to encourage us to do tonight is simply see some of the steps, whether we're being called to scattered church or not, what are some of the things that God is doing in our lives and shaping in us that we might take the good news beyond the walls, fulfill our calling. I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, look at verses 4 and 5. And this is about Paul and Barnabas. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, Paul, Barnabas, and his team, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John Mark as their assistant. John Mark, uh, you remember uh, last Wednesday, his mother was the hostess of the prayer gathering. The church gathered in her home uh, as they were praying for Peter uh, to be rescued from Herod's hand. And, and, and so this is John Mark, the assistant, the son of that uh, hostess in, uh, in chapter 12. So what do we see in these two verses? And simply it's a continuation from Sunday uh, where the church sends out this mission team and and, and so they're going, and they're going to different places, and they're preaching the gospel uh, to the, in the synagogues of the Jews. And what we'll see is in the synagogues, there were people uh, who were Jewish, gathered together in those places, but we also find that there were God-fearers. These are Gentiles or non-Jewish people that were uh, uh, seeking after God, like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, a God-fearer, and they, they were attached in a uh, less-than-family kind of way to the synagogue. And, and so as Peter and Bar as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark uh, come to these different towns, they first find 
uh, the synagogue where the Jewish people gather, and they go to the synagogue, and they begin to preach. And, and here's the message for us today. Uh, whether we're called to scatter church, whether you sense that God is calling you to go on mission or to plant a church in some other location or uh, to, uh, to be a co-vocational or bivocational pastor or to serve God in ministry like I do in a local church, even if you sense that or if you don't, here is a message for every member in our church, for this church. God loves the church that takes Jesus into the world. The church fulfills her calling when we proclaim Jesus, tell others who Jesus is beyond our walls, beyond the walls of our comfort, beyond the walls of our tradition, beyond the walls of our buildings. When we look and see that um, Barnabas and Paul go to an island called Cyprus. Cyprus is about 140 miles long. Um, And in this city, we encounter some lessons about our world. See, the world is a messy place, and it's filled with all kinds of ideas and thoughts and perceptions that lead only to devastation. And this is the world in which we live. It's a messy world, and it's the world to which the church at Antioch sent Paul and his mission team. Look at verses 6 through 8. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, I'm sorry, Paphos is about 140 miles long. Uh, Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, that's Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So in this encounter, uh, we see that that, uh, on the island of Cyprus, they go to the capital city of Paphos, where the governor of Cyprus, Sergius Paulos is. Sergius Paulos has an advisor whose name is Bar-Jesus. Now, Bar-Jesus is translated from the Aramaic, son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And, and it, it's as if this sorcerer, this magician, this false prophet was claiming to be messianic. I, I'm, I am Uh, a a Messiah figure. But now Barnabas and Paul get to Paphos, and and Sergius Paulus had heard of their ministry, and he wanted to hear the message that that they were delivering. Uh, Sergius uh, Paulus was a man living in a messy world with a messy life, and he wanted a clear answer from God Uh, so that he might find rescue from the mess. Messy places create messy people who need rescue from God. No matter where you are in the seven cities of Hampton Roads or even around the world, no matter what time uh, uh, in in this uh, history of humanity we may live, this truth remains. Messy people. And those are people... Uh, who are separated from God by sin. Messy people live in messy places. They live in places that don't know God but need Him. 
And messy people living in messy places long to find a clear answer about their life. They look high and low for the answer, and it is our job, praise the Lord, it is our job to give them that clear answer. Uh, the, uh, the, The magician, the sorcerer, he wanted to stop the clear answer from God getting to Sergius Paulus because he would eventually be fired. He'd be found out to be a false prophet. And, and, and so uh, Elymas didn't want that to happen. And so he withstood Paul and Barnabas. But Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, moved by the Holy Spirit, continued to proclaim the truth of God, pronounced judgment on the false prophet, and a mist covered that false prophet's eyes, and he was blind. Sergius Paulus saw it, and he believed in the gospel. He believed in Jesus. Paul and Barnabas were showing and telling who Jesus is. Friends, when we go into a hostile world, when we go into messy places filled with messy people who have all kinds of ideas and perspectives and ideologies contrary to the truth of God, we can be confident that the gospel will win out. Elymas wasn't convinced, but Sergius Paulus was. Uh, opposition to the gospel will be overwhelmed by the truth of God. And this is a picture of the mess in our world. And it's a picture of our mission to our world. We take the good news of God's rescuing love into a messy world. We proclaim Jesus as God's rescue. And the truth of God, listen, the truth of God conquers competing ideologies and agenda, philosophies, and worldviews. The truth of the gospel wins out. Now, we don't have to be hostile toward those who are hostile toward us. We need to be faithful proclaimers of who Jesus is, showing and telling the difference that Jesus can make. We need to show people that their messy life can be made whole and straight by faith in Jesus, repentance of sin, coming into God's family, that the whole in their heart will only be made whole through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our mission, and we do it in a messy world. So we hear that great encounter between Paul and uh, Bar-Jesus or Elymas and the conversion of Sergius Paulus. And so then we continue the story Uh, as the team moves from uh, uh, Paphos uh, to Antioch, Pisidia. Paul's sermon at Antioch, Pisidia represents another witness to religious people. It's similar in form and theme to Peter's sermon at Pentecost and what Peter said to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Um, Paul presents a survey of God's mighty acts of redemption and, and uh, in Israel's history, uh, he talks about how Jesus is the summit of God's saving work, and he declares that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. So as we look at what Paul says, here's where I want us to get to application for us. And this is something that every single person here who gathers with us, part of the First Norfolk family, there's something we all can do. We can tell people who Jesus is. And, and what 
Paul did is he went to the synagogue there in Antioch, Pisidia, which was relatively large, and he began to find common ground with those to whom he was speaking. Uh, If you uh, just uh, take a quick look at beginning in verse uh, 17, 16 and 17, it says that uh, after reading the law and prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent uh, to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So the, the leaders of the synagogue invited Paul and Barnabas to speak. They had gone to the synagogue to pray and to hear the reading of Scripture. Uh, and then the leaders in the synagogue recognized that Paul and Barnabas were these people that were creating such a stir uh, in Paphos and in Asia Minor. And so he said, hey, listen, why don't you share with us today? So Paul stood up, verse 16, and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. And then he begins to tell the history and the story of Israel. As we look at that, what we need to see is that Paul is uh, painting a picture of commonality uh, between himself and those who are gathered in the synagogue. He preaches a message that would be similar to a synagogue sermon. He didn't uh, go off half-baked. He, he, just, he stayed in the lane of the synagogue, and he addressed them as, as family and co-family. He said, the, uh, the God and Father of, uh, of our ancient fathers, the, the, the one that we worship, the one that we know, he's, he's the one who has performed all these mighty and miraculous things for Israel. He, he, he uh, sent them to Egypt, and then he rescued them from Egypt, and, and then he led them to the promised land, and, and, and God did mighty works, and then the people wanted a king, Paul said, and, and God raised up David. And at that point, uh, Paul turned the story of Israel toward Jesus himself. When we find common ground with people that we encounter, and that common ground can be sports, can be on a golf course, uh, it could be watching a sporting event, it could be food. Some of y'all are foodies and y'all like particular food. Uh, it can be sharing stories about food, common ground. It could be uh, uh, pets or, uh, or uh, shopping uh, likes or dislikes. Uh, it, it, it could be all kinds of different things, but you look in your neighborhood and your community and you find common ground. And as you find common ground, you step into that common ground, you tell the story of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul did, we we need to tell the story of how God sent Jesus to rescue us. And that's the story that we need to make much of. We, we need to make much of, of, of how Jesus comes to the rescue of sinners like you and me. For Paul, he's talking to a Jewish audience and God-fearers, those who are attached to the synagogue. And he's saying, listen, you need to understand Jesus is the promised Messiah. You look verse 23. In verse 22, he said that, that uh, God raised up David. Uh, and then verse 23, from this man's seed, from David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. When we as a church and as individual members of this family 
go into our community, we find common ground so that we can tell others that God's rescue comes through Jesus. Now, we don't find common ground just so we can have a pal or a buddy. We find common ground so that we can have a friend with whom we share Jesus. It's sitting at a kitchen table and turning the small talk about sports to a spiritual conversation. It's where we determine that I'm going to point you to Jesus because Jesus is your only hope. Messy people live in messy places, and they're looking for a clear answer to the mess in their lives. And our message is Jesus is the answer, the only answer that will fix the dilemma of your soul. There are many who might make promises, but God has made a promise that he's kept, and that promise is Jesus. And we need to tell people that Jesus is God's rescue to them. So we move from common ground to pointing people to Jesus. The second thing I want us to see is that we need to tell them that Jesus died for our sin to rescue us. In verses 24 and 25 and 26, well, verse 24 and 25, uh, Paul talks about John the Baptist and how he was, uh, he was the forerunner to the Messiah and, and, and how John the Baptist said, there's someone coming after me whose sandal strap I'm unworthy to unleash. Uh, I've baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with fire. He, he talked about John the Baptist In verse 25, he brings application to the hearts of those in the synagogue. He says, uh, in verse, uh, 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 verse 26, I'm sorry, he says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, I'm telling you how that you can find rescue. I'm telling you how that you can find rescue. His name is Jesus. Verse 27, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know Jesus, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Jesus. Verse 28, and though they found no cause for his death, They asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Paul points to the death of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something about when he talks about taking him down from a tree, Paul's pointing to a cross. But he's using the language of the curse of those who are hung upon a tree. And, and Paul then connects the dots uh, for them, and maybe we don't have all of it, but he's saying here, Jesus died for your sin. And Jesus died for the sin of those who had rebelled against God. The mess in your life is because of your sin, and Jesus died in your place for your sin. He's going to bring that back up in a moment, but I want you to understand when we talk to people, we find common ground, and we point them to Jesus. Jesus is God's plan for rescue for you. He's the one who takes you out of a messy life, and then we tell them that God sent Jesus to die for your sin so that you and I might find forgiveness. We've got to tell them that our sin had separated us from God. That's the mess. But God sent Jesus to our rescue. He died in our place on a cross. 
And it was God's plan to bring rescue to you and to me. Jesus died for our sin to rescue us. So we find common ground, and in that common ground, we tell people that God sent Jesus to rescue us. We tell them that Jesus died for our sin to rescue us. And then the third thing we tell them is that Jesus overcame death to give new life to us. Jesus was dead. He was shattered, taking the penalty of sin on our behalf. Broken and dead, the guilt of our sin rested upon him. But God made the rescue complete, and he raised Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 30 through 33. But, so verse 29, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you good tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God's promise for new life becomes a reality for sinners. The power of sin, which has destroyed us, is overturned by the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus took our penalty and he took away the power of sin so that we might live secure in the grip of God's great love. And we need to tell people that Jesus died for our sin so that we might be forgiven and he was raised from the dead so that we might find a new life through faith in him. The fourth thing that we share is that we find rescue through Jesus. You might say, well, you've talked a lot about rescue. Yes, that's what we need to talk about. We need to talk about how people who are living in messy, messy places because they're messy people, because of a messy sin that has created a mess in their life, they looking for straight answers from God. And we go up to them and say, hey, listen, we've talked a lot about basketball, and, and basketball's fun, but can I, can I ask you a question? Do you think God has an answer for your life's problems today? I think he does. He's, he's an, provided an answer for my life's problems. Whatever I face, I know that God has provided an answer for my deepest yearnings in life. God sent Jesus to rescue us. Your life story is much like my life story, even though we have different twists and turns. We're separated from God by sin, and we desperately need family with God. We might not know it, but that's what we're searching for. And God sent Jesus to take us by the hand and lead us into God's family. God sent Jesus to our rescue, and, and that means that Jesus died for our sin to rescue us. Our sin is what separates us from God. It's our sin that has created a chasm between us and God that we can't cross. But God sent Jesus to build a bridge between sinners like you and me and a holy God. And he did that by dying on a cross taking the penalty of our sin, my sin, upon himself. He was the perfect sacrifice, fully God yet fully man, never sinning, and yet he took my place and he took my sin and he died so that through faith in him I could be forgiven. But that wasn't the end of the story. God raised Jesus from the dead so that you and I could have a new life. 
And God raised him up so that the promise of being part of his family would be realized in your life and mine. When we place our trust in Jesus, when we look to him as our only hope for rescue, then we find new life, forgiveness for sin, family with God. God sent Jesus to rescue us, and we find rescue through Jesus. We ask, are you searching for rescue? Is that what you're longing for? Jesus Christ is the only hope for that rescue. He's the only hope for us to be put together in a way that makes sense. He's our only hope for forgiveness from sin. Now look at verses 38 and 39. Therefore, Paul said, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You say, look, you've been searching for perfection in your life and you'll never reach it. But Jesus, the perfect one, has given you a gift where you can be made right in the sight of God. He takes our sin upon himself and he takes his righteousness and he gives it to us. You can now be made fit for God's family. You can now find life through faith in Christ. But what must you do? You have to believe. You have to place your faith in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus is justified, made right in the sight of God. As Paul was telling the story to the people of the synagogue, people began to believe. And so much so that the Gentiles were excited and And so Paul and Barnabas pressed on to tell as many people as they could who Jesus is. We need to have that same mentality. When God begins to move the church on mission beyond the walls of our comfort or our tradition or our buildings, something amazing begins to happen. More messy people living in messy places want to hear how they can be rescued. Look at verses 42 through 44. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words, this story of rescuing love from God, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. They weren't there to hear a song sung or a sermon preached. They wanted to hear from God. When God begins to move our church on mission beyond our walls, when each of us takes seriously the responsibility of the Great Commission and tell others who Jesus is, then then others begin to hear it, and they want it. They're begging to hear the Word of life come from Jesus Christ. So as we, followers of Jesus Christ, we encounter people from different backgrounds, different religions, different worldviews, and we tell them who Jesus is, they begin to say, that's the answer I've been looking for. But there's some opposition as well. Uh, The Jewish people that saw the movement that was taking place there in Antioch, Pisidia, they, they opposed it. And like Jewish people there in Antioch, Pisidia, there are going to be church-type people that don't like it when 
messy people are rescued by God's grace. And they become envious or jealous. And they become uh, protective of their walls or their traditions or their own comforts. And yet, as a church, fulfilling her calling, we must press on even further beyond the walls and help more and more and more people come to Jesus. Look at verses 48 and 49. When the Gentiles heard, and what Paul and Barnabas said was, look, we came to the synagogue first, and we told you the story of salvation. And now you're opposing us, you're rejecting us, so we're just going to go to the Gentiles. You have your little crew. We're going to go to the Gentiles. And verse 48 says that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the, Lord of the, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region. When we are faithful to declare the good news of God's rescuing love as the church, we will face opposition, but we continue to press on. And when we continue to press on, more people will come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. They will believe on Jesus, and the word of the Lord will begin to spread throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Not just through our church, but through all the churches that take seriously this calling that God has given us to tell others who Jesus is. Even in the face of opposition, and even in the face of heated opposition, the result of the church moving beyond its walls is joy. Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, individuals who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are walking in the Holy Spirit, are going to be missionary followers of Christ. We're going to go across the street and across the world to our neighbors and to the nations, into the seven cities of Hampton Roads and throughout the continents of the world, and we're going to tell as many people as we can, Jesus is the answer. We're going to share it unapologetically, and when we do, people are going to oppose us, but people are going to believe. When we walk in the Spirit, we, when we're filled with the Spirit, you know, we are missionary followers of Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit and we're missionary followers of Christ, the result is joy, even when opposition hits. The joyful church is the church on mission to fulfill her calling to people living in a messy world and in need of rescue. Today, I want to invite you to join me in going beyond our walls, the walls of our comfort, our traditions, or um, our buildings, and go to people across the cul-de-sac, across the office in a different cubicle, to go to people in the grocery store or on the street, and let's tell them who Jesus is. God's raising up men and women to lead scattered churches so that we might have outposts throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads where the gospel is being proclaimed. God is raising up leaders in this church uh, to help train and develop people so that uh, we can be a team, a family on mission, telling others who Jesus is. Vacation Bible School is an opportunity for children and their families to hear who Jesus is. And God has mobilized this family of faith to lead 
children and families to know Jesus, tell them who Jesus is. Guys, listen, God's doing a great work in our church, and we celebrate the baptisms that we have and have coming. More people will believe as we are faithful to tell. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in. May he bless your going out. And may he fill your life with purpose as we go beyond our walls and tell others who Jesus is. God bless you and good night.